0: Just so you know, she preached some power-packed messages. She brought the house down last night. Like, it was crazy. She's the one that should be preaching this morning. with the authority and power with which she preached last night, it was so good. So your prayers were effective. And I actually saw women weeping before the Lord crying out giving their hearts giving their lives in a fresh new way. And Angela and I and Rebecca got the opportunity to prophetically pray over different ones and it was just such a it was a gift. It was a beautiful moment and I'm thankful. And so God is good. So you that like plans, you'll like the title of this message plan A and plan B. And um, I've been working on this message for a number of months, and so it has shifted and changed so much you wouldn't even recognize it from where it started. (laughs) And this morning, I humbly come before you, and I want to share with you what's on my heart, what I believe God has put on my heart. And there, you and I, we are believing for a move of God. Like, we are believing for God to move in our nation. We're believing for God to move in our county. We're believing for God to move in our church. Are we not? Have we not been praying for that? And you know, there's actually been outbreaks all over the place. And even this week on our call that we were on, we heard in their churches things that God was doing that just wowed us, just wowed us. And so that's happening. And um, all of us, we're looking for that more. We're looking for what God is doing on the earth. We're, we're wanting to participate with him. We're wanting his presence to flood this place like never before. We want to encounter him and be so full of him. And the devil knows that we've been praying. That we've been preparing our hearts. And that we've been pressing in for the more of God And he wants to stop it. He wants to deter us off course. And he wants to keep us from the purposes of God. And he has a plan A and a plan B. And I'm here this morning to warn you about them. That you can know the plans of the enemy. So um, if you personally received information about a violent attack that was going to happen in Walworth County, what would you do? You would do everything in your power to stop it from happening, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you do that? And so I just want you to understand the devious ways the enemy works to stop what he wants to do, God wants to do on the earth, what he tries, his tricks and his craftiness. So I want to expose, I want to report to you, all, all the detailed strategies that the enemy plans on using. You see, he uses underhanded means. He, he uses devious methods. And they're meant to hinder you and to stop you. And his plans are meant to stop the church. And I'm giving you critical information that can keep an attack from happening to you. And I'm encouraging you to do everything possible to stop it. So these two highly effective methods, the enemy uses over and over. And he especially uses them in the church. Shocker. The enemy working in the church. Doesn't that shock you? Well, he does. And we as a church, we need to wake up. And we need to be aware of his tactics and stop him in his tracks. You know what, it's interesting, there's nothing new in his methods, nothing new. In fact, they're as old as dirt, his methods are. But we forget how actually sneaky, underhanded, sly, and devious he is. And just for your information, he doesn't come to you with a red suit and horns. No, he comes transformed as an angel of light. That makes it a little bit more challenging to recognize, right? An angel of light. And think about what does an angel of light look like? Maybe like God? He comes as an angel of light. And if we only think about him coming in a particular way, we won't be ready. So... Let's start with the information we possess in the word of God about the enemy. You need to know his M.O., the names he goes by. uh, Maybe what he looks like, and even you need to understand what his boundaries are. He goes by so many names, it's ridiculous. So he goes by Lucifer, Satan, the devil. That word actually means slander, by the way. I didn't know if you knew that. Seif father of lies, evil one, adversary, dragon, serpent, accuser of the brethren, whoa, tempter, angel of light, ruler of this world, prince of the power of the air, Beelzebub, the god of this age, and the list goes on. And it's interesting that he's very skilled, and he uses, his names actually sometimes describe the things that he does. And Jesus gives us A very telling piece of information about him. And it's always used in his methods. And it's found in John 8.44. And it says this. I'm starting kind of in the middle of the verse. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. You need to understand that. There is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's who we're facing. That's the one that wants to keep the move of God from happening in our midst. That's the one that comes into your life to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. It's him. And Jesus actually told us that about him, that he does come. What? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Peter tells us that he walks around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And James tells us that if we resist him, he'll run from us. Some interesting things about him. I would also remind you that um, Mike preached a few weeks ago on Colossians. This message was supposed to follow that. And wonderfully, Dave stepped in for me after my dad died. And um, so he preached... On Colossians, and he told us, he, he, he prepared us for the way that the enemy works. And he in Colossians two, thirteen to fifteen, this is what it says. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You have to keep that in your mind. He always is ready to forgive. Then this, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which were contrary to us. Everything the enemy wants to throw in my face about the terrible things I did as a kid, and as a teenager, and as a young adult, he likes to wave them in my face. But this scripture actually says that he took them. He took them all. And he nailed them to the cross. All your past, all those things that he did, he dealt with on your behalf. It's taken out of the way. And then this, verse 15, listen to this. You have to believe this. If you don't believe anything else this morning, believe this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. He defeated the enemy. He defeated him. He defeated him. But there's another truth that you need to hold close when you're thinking about this plan A that he has. And that is found in Genesis 22, 17. And it's such a powerful truth that it's kind of slipped in there in Genesis and we just slide over it and we miss it. And it says... God's speaking to Abraham, and he said, Blessing, I will bless you. And we, we heard that. We sing that. Multiply, and I multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And then listen to this truth. This is you. Are you a descendant of Abraham? Okay. This is you. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemy. Oh, it doesn't say enemy. It says enemies. It, that... Just think about a gate. You, you possess the gate. You can keep it closed or you can open it. You gets to choose. You possess the gate of your enemy. So when we become aware of the enemy's strategies, we easily recognize the way he works. And we can see how he stirs up trouble. How he shifts our attention and how he distracts and tries to create fear in us. Let me get real personal here. So I'm going to Mount Zion's retreat where Becca's going to speak. That's intimidating to me. Don't know why. It just is. A lot of fear. And... Um, I went before the Lord and I was like, God, I don't want the enemy to win in my life. I don't want him to have victory over me. I don't want him to rule what I can and cannot do. And so I lay this down and I asked you to be what I need to do what I'm going to do here. And I went in there and I sat in the meetings and then... I got opportunity after opportunity to minister because God had a purpose for me in going. He had a plan for me. And it was this close to me not going. It would have been really easy to back out. And yet God had something. And this is the way he works. He wants to rob you of the destiny that God's spoken over you. He wants to hold you back from moving into where you're supposed to move in. And the way he does this is through plan A, which I'm going to share with you. Yeah. So when we fully understand the methods of the enemy, it's really easy to say not today devil not today I'm not doing it today I'm taking no part of that and that needs to be where we stand and what we do so this morning I'm I'm going to remind you of some of the subtle plans that he uses and remind you what the word of God says and then reveal you the ways the enemy likes to move in the church any church to stop what God's going to do it's interesting to note that his tactics are not very original because they started back in the book of Genesis. That's old, really old. So look at Genesis. I believe he's going to reveal something to you this morning in Genesis chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 4. Okay, And I, I chose the, the New Living Translation because I just liked it better. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest. Okay? But some translations said cunning or crafty. So whatever word you want. Of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. Isn't that interesting? That the serpent was top dog. Interesting. And one day, he asked the woman, did God... Now, did you notice that he uses the word God? He doesn't call him by his name Yahweh. He calls him God. Isn't that interesting? He said, "Um, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. His plan A, which seemed to work fairly effectively, is this. this is plan A. It is to get you to question the nature of God, who he is, the promises of God, what he said he will do, and his covenant he made with you, which is a sealed deal. That's what the enemy does in your life over and over again. He wants you to question the very Character of God. And he wants you to not believe that he is faithful to his word. And he tries it over and over again. Can you see that happening in this story in Genesis? Here he challenges Eve with half-truths until she begins to see her creator and friend through a different set of lenses. The enemy suggests that God was withholding things from Eve. He's keeping you from what's really good for you. He's stingy, and he doesn't want you to have it. Yeah. The enemy suggests that God is withholding the things that would make Eve better, smarter, and more powerful. And the serpent caused her to actually question the goodness of God. So I asked you this morning, have you heard that whisper in your ear? (laughs) See, the enemy loves you to question what the word of God tells you. You might ask yourself, why does God always do that for others, but he doesn't do that for me? Even though it's in the word, I see him do it for others, but he doesn't do it for me. And I've actually heard people say, well, God always answers your prayers, but he doesn't answer my prayers. That's not in the word. Who's telling you that? Who would tell you such a devious lie? You see, we, we, we give ear our ear attention to his voice. These little snippets of things he says, you're not good enough, you'll never measure up. You always fail at whatever you do. And he's always getting you to try to believe that what God has spoken over you, the prophetic words, even this morning. There was a prophetic word over Justin this morning. And there will be a war in his life over whether he's going to take what the word of God said as truth or not. We each have to do that. We have to say, is what God's saying about me true? Is it in the word? Will he actually do what he said? Will he actually come and move in America like we believe he said he's going to? Will he move in Lighthouse? Do you have any idea of the promises of over this house? Promises of healing. And then we pray for somebody and they're not healed. And you go, well, maybe maybe God doesn't heal today. Or maybe it's just... It's me and my prayers. They're not effective. I mean, we we come up with answers to all the questions we have that are outside the realm of God. Outside the realm of the word of God. And we believe them as truth. And the enemy wins. That's his plan A. Gets you to think less of God. And part two of plan A is to think you less of yourself. There's words about what God is going to do in our midst. And we have to stand and believe what his word, what he has said is true. Yeah. We listen to the voice of the enemy as he weaves doubts, fears, and even makes us question how our loving father actually feels about us. Do you know how many people believe that God is love, that he loves people, but they're not sure he loves them? He loves you. He loves you. So the serpent implied those wonderful things called half-truths, that God was strict, stingy, and selfish for not wanting to share with Eve his knowledge of good and evil. Can you see it played out in that story? And I believe the enemy comes to us, and he's subtle, and he's crafty and sly in what he presents to us. And he, he wants us to question the goodness of God, too. He wants you to not believe that God is good. He wants you to question whether God will do what he says in your life. He wants you to question whether the word of God is actually true. And his all favorite thing is he whispers, it can't be true because you haven't experienced it. See, Eve allowed the whisper in her ear to override all that God had done and spoken to her. She walked in the garden with him often. She knew his nature, his character. And because she gave ear for just one second to the enemy, she lost so much. She, didn't, she had no clue what she was about to lose. He made her turn from the very instruction of God for her life, all because she listened to the serpent's words. And Eve made a devastating mistake in that moment of decision. She decided that she knew what was best for her life more than God knew what was for her life. She listened to the voice that cast suspicion on God's intentions. Danger, danger, danger. When you hear that voice whispering about the intentions of God over you, you have to stop it in its tracks. You have to tell it to shut up and be gone in the name of Jesus. You cannot embrace these things that the enemy is trying to put on you. It's interesting how the devil twists things He told her that if she ate from the tree, that she would be like God. And she had entirely forgotten that she was created in his image. She was already like God. He was telling her she was missing out when in reality she already has. And he continuously tries to get you... To think you are missing out when in reality you already have all that he has given you. All the things that he has promised. They're yours. They're already yours. He isn't withholding things from you. He pro- the word says that he provided everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything. We make such a huge mistake when we entertain. I am so guilty. Church, I'm working on this and I pray that you're working on this. Make a mistake when we entertain and rehearse and dwell on the lies that the enemy tries to take us out with about who we are. You are who God says you are. You are not who the enemy is going to tell you you are. He uses half-truths so that it goes in and it turns inside of us and brings this hurt and pain within us. And we listen to it, and then pretty soon we're like, oh, it really is true, I do do that all the time. And I, Oh my, it, it never does happen the way I think it's supposed to happen. And, and we embrace it, and we coddle it, and we hold it close to us. And all the time God's been saying to us, hey, I provided everything you need. And I want to be everything to you. And I want you to know me as the provider of everything that you need. The word of God reveals the heart of the Father for you. If you're not in the word, you don't know what it's saying about you. It tells you that his thoughts of you are as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. Why don't you start counting and see how many thoughts about you he has had for today? It says he goes before you, that he lays his hand upon you. It says he knows your thoughts. It says he sings songs of victory over you in the night season. It says he's your healer. It says he's your deliverer. It says he is your victory. That's what the word says. So the word reveals who the father is to us and the very nature of God. And it is full of truth that is needed to contradict the words that the devil whispers over us. There's this thing called self-esteem. And there is a battle in our nation for people's self-esteem. And I want you to know something that self-esteem is found in God. Because he loves us so much. If you could hear his words over you... How he finds you so incredibly beautiful. How he sees the talent within you. How he just cheers you on and loves how you smile. And how you do things this way that's different from everybody else. That's Papa God. That's what the word tells us. It's almost embarrassing when he speaks his love over us. Because it's so intimate, and it's so pure, and it's so to the very heart of our being. And we want to find self-esteem in our clothing. We want to find self-esteem because somebody else likes us. We find and find self-esteem from the world. We, we want to measure up. We're trying to measure up, but we're making the measure wrong because we're listening to the voice of the enemy rather than to the voice of the Father. And he's a good, good father. He tells you how he'll make you able to do things. How he created you with great purpose in mind. And the list goes on. Then, then this whisper from the enemy flies across our radar and we, think, we, we sink into depression and self-pity because of all the things that we're not And the enemy loves to to destroy the value that God speaks over you. God tells you you can. And the devil tells you you can't. God says you're highly valued. And the enemy says no one loves you or cares two hoots about you. Or what's happening in your life. The enemy whispers lie after lie that makes you turn from the one who actually Has the answers from the one that will actually deliver you. He wants you to believe that there is nothing and no one and no love for you that will make you succeed in life. And we buy it quickly, we buy it so quickly. We join Eve in questioning the very nature of God, the Father, and all the incredible promises and the covenant he made with us, all because of a liar and his tactics. You see, those words that we entertain and we think about, they work through, and and the first one comes, and then another joins, and another, and pretty soon we have a stronghold inside of us, Of things that we believe that are contrary to the word of God. Because we take the voice of the enemy. And we believe it. Think how long words people speak over you. How long they can bring torture to your heart. Those lies are so spun so craftily. And the enemy strikes below the belt. And we agree with him. You see the big mistake is in entertaining it. You have to realize that the thought comes. And then what are you going to do with it? Well, the word of God tells us this is what you do. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to take those thoughts and capture them. We have to cast down. That that phrase actually means a violent act of throwing it down. We have to recognize this is a lie. And I'm not going to participate in it. And I refuse to have a part of this. It's grabbing hold of the thought and saying, I will not believe the whisper that the devil speaks in my ear. I'm a child of the living God and his word is the authority in my life. And then we need to replace the lies with actual truth. Our thoughts need to be um, the playground for the word of God. We need to rehearse what he says so much that when a lie comes we automatically know it's not true. And let me tell you something. Your destiny is on the other side of the war. Your destiny. Ephesians 6 tells us that The Lord gave us the armor of God um, to use in battle. And one of the pieces is a shield of faith. And it says that when you raise a shield of faith, the fiery darts of the enemy comes and it goes into that shield and it puts them out. So we, we raise up a shield of faith. We speak the word of truth over our lives, for everything the enemy speaks against us. Not only that, we need to be speaking that to one another. We need to be telling each other, no, that's not truth. This is what's truth. Yeah. Picture a battle, and the flaming arrows are coming at you, and you hold up that sword of faith, and it destroys those flaming arrows. It puts them out, and it protects you from harm. That is what faith is. Believing God over believing the devil. When you take the weapon in your hand in Ephesians 6, there's one. What is it? The one that's in your other hand. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit. And we use it to destroy the enemy when he comes after us with plan A. And so he speaks a lie to us and we lift up the living word of God. The living word of God. It's alive and powerful and active and able to do stuff in your life. And when you use that word of God against him, he's defeated instantly. And so we have to use the word of God to defeat the enemy. God's word is the answer to plan A. It's the antidote, the solution, the weapon of war. Because this is a war against you and your destiny. Against this church and its destiny. It replaces the lies with truth. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Hey, Church of Lighthouse, I beseech you this morning. I come like after you. I, I plead with you this morning that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then verse 2, it says this, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Transformed transformed. You're going a totally different way. That's the same word that was used when Jesus was on the mountain and he was transformed before the before the disciples. It's the same word. It's only used three times. And here it is. He says, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you take that word and it comes, the enemy whispers and you speak the word of truth to him to counter what he says you renew your mind a renewed mind anchors into what God says above other voices let God be true and the enemy be a liar all other voices be a liar you see plan A is meant to separate from you from God and plan A is to keep you from keep you always doubting God and to keep you from your destiny and plan A is defeated by something called repentance. See, we don't think about believing lies as sinful. We don't think there is any big deal. So I believed a lie. Even I spoke a lie. That's nothing compared to a murderer, right? You know, we, we kind of categorize sin. And the Bible says that when we lean into ourselves more than God, it's wrong. When we believe the enemy and we don't believe God, it's sin. And the enemy uses these whispers continuous amongst us and in our ears. He isolates us. Did you hear Dave this morning? He isolates us. He keeps us, I crawl into my chair and cover my head with a blanket. He isolates us when in truth we should be speaking to one another and speaking out to one another and saying, this is the truth. Don't fall for it. Don't go there. Come on. We can do this. Together we can do this because we need each other. And so we need repentance. And that's actually feeling sorrow over what we've been doing. I actually cried over my heart being like it was when I told you about having fear in my life about going to this retreat. I know. I can't even explain it to you. It doesn't matter. It was very real to me. And I I had to let God deal with that. And then I cried over that. I repented. And I said, God, I want your way. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be who you want me to be. And so 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. We have sorrow over allowing the enemy to wreak havoc in our lives. Church, we need to repent of those things. Where we let him rule. Where those devious things he speaks over us. We we embrace them rather than rejecting them. We need to repent. And then we need to renew our mind with truth. Countering every lie he speaks over us. And it's not easy. It's a challenge, but it's worth it. Because it will cause you to arise. And this is the only way he's going to stop us from keeping and moving into what God has for us. If he can keep us like this. Keep us isolated. Keep us hurting. Keep us not believing in ourselves. Not believing what God has spoken over us. We need to ask God to forgive us for every image of ourselves we carry that is contrary to the word. And that is a lot. I hear so many people. Oh, I could never do that. I I can't do that. I can't do that. It says in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's truth. That's actually truth. Every time I can't comes to you, you need to quote that verse. I can do all things. All things. You can get up and prophesy because you can do all things. We have to let the word simmer in our thoughts and minds and do the work that God designed it to do, which is to bring change. Change in how we see ourselves, what we believe. You need to challenge every once in a while I hear a word and I'm like, I don't think that's in the Bible. And I start looking it up and I'm like, oh my word, that's not in the Bible. What am I believing that for? You know you got to do that. You got to know what the word says so you can counter what the enemy says and you can stop him in his tracks and you can say not today, devil. Not on my watch. Look at 2 Corinthians 11:3. I'm going to close with this. And if you want part if you want to know all about plan B, you have to come back next week. This is an interesting verse, Second Corinthians eleven three. Paul saying, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. That just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent is not in there. You missed it. I don't have the rest of it. <laughs> That must be the end. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. He said, he was talking to the church and he said, I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ so easy it's so easy friends I preach to you as a friend today I preach to you because I want to see the presence of God come here in our midst like we've never encountered before and I want to move into the things of God like we've never done before and the only thing that can stop it from happening is allowing the enemy access to our thoughts to our thoughts. So will you stand with me? Lord, we as a body come before you and we say we're weary of the enemy's tricks working on us. And we ask you, Papa God, to forgive us for all the times and all the places that we believe the enemy's whispered voice over that of you, Papa God. God, we confess We confess that we don't always believe the Word. And we ask for the Word of God to become such a deep anchor in our life that no one can get by with anything because we'll know that's what the Word of God says. We ask that it would be our course correction that it would be the thing that we cling to, that the word would be the thing that we, we hold precious within us. We ask you to awaken in us every area where we have strongholds and we ask you, Lord, that you would show us and we will cast down every vain imagination that we've had in our minds against God. Show us, Papa, those places that have strongholds within us and set us free from them. I ask you that we would recognize the voice of the Father so clearly that every other voice sounds terrible, and we rebuke it. Father God, Papa, I'm asking you to be a papa to these people today, that you take them in your arms, that you tell them how much you love them, that you speak hope and life and beauty over them. I'm asking that we, as a church, would become an army of those who believe God, that we will be a people that will stand for the truth, that we will not be deceived as Eve was deceived. That we will say no to the devil and yes to you. Lord, you're looking for a yes from us this morning. You're looking for us to say yes. We will defeat the enemy through the word of God. Every tactic we renounce. God, I believe that you want to use us to heal our neighborhoods. And we need to be well to be able to heal others. So I'm asking you to bring healing to our lives. Just move in us, Holy Spirit, like you do. Only you can do that. And we give you our hearts again this morning. We say, God, possess it all. Every cupboard, every doorway, every pathway, every part of us God. And I thank you for who you are. And we praise your holy and righteous and wonderful name. In Jesus name, Amen. So, I have these cards here for you. Mike created them for us. They're not original to us. But they speak about who you are. So, if you don't know the truth, if you don't know the word, these are the things the word says about you. So, you can pick up this card and say, wait a minute, this is what it says I am. I'm making it easy for you this morning. And so, I'm going to put them up here. So, anybody that wants them. Can come and get one thank you Lord thank you Lord God you are so good it doesn't matter who we are God is continuously drawing us upward continuously moving us and it's such a beautiful thing that he's doing
1: Put your hand in your heart this morning. This is um, the most powerful prayer in the Bible, in my opinion. It's the first prayer that God gave to man. And I think it's the most powerful prayer because of what it says afterwards. It says, if you do this, then it releases me to be able to do what I said I will do. I'll bless them. So, if you want somebody to be blessed say this prayer over them every day god's god draws a target on their heart and he will pour out blessing amen so the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you the lord be gracious unto you lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in jesus name amen